How to show up with Coca-Cola energy. You're tired and you're thinking of canceling on your friends. Don't do it! Every time you cancel on a friend, a unicorn loses its horn and becomes a regular horse. Do you really want that on your conscience? Instead, grab an ice-cold can of Coca-Cola energy with delicious Coke taste and reinvigorating energy. Keep the unicorns alive! Show up every day with Coca-Cola energy. Energy you want, taste you love. The Leslie Marshall Show, the only true democracy in talk radio, of, for, and by you, the people, live nationwide and streaming live at LeslieMarshallShow.com. Call in with your thoughts at 888-6-LESLIE. And good afternoon, good afternoon, and welcome back. This is the Leslie Marshall Show, and I'm your host for the afternoon, Michelle Jawando. Always good being a part of the Leslie Marshall family and joining our wonderful listeners from all over the country. If you want to join in the conversation, and I hope you will, go ahead and give us a call at 888-6-LESLIE. That's 888-653-7543. You can also follow the conversation on Twitter at Leslie Marshall and at Michelle with one L Jawando. I'm also giving a shout out to all of our Facebook live friends who are watching. Oh my goodness. I'm glad I put on some lipstick. Oh my goodness. Uh, radio is not just radio anymore, James. You gotta, you just gotta give it all. You so gotta I'm give learning. it all. <laughs> but um, what another week we're approaching hundred days of Donald Trump as president. Yes. Ladies and gentlemen, <laughs> we are almost there. Can you believe it? Um, but 100 days in office. And today for a bit, I wanted to just explore um, as we think about, and this is a phrase that sticks with me, personnel is policy. Um, and you think about some of the people in place across this administration, Betsy DeVos, uh, Jeff Sessions, Scott Pruitt. And what has that really meant for the American people? You know, U.S. Attorney Jeff Sessions has called for what I would consider brutal tactics to deal with the quote-unquote rise of crime nationwide. But the reality is that I think the AG is dealing in alternative facts. The reality is the FBI's national crime statistics actually show a downward trend in crime. Um, some of his changes, of his law and order policy changes, include creating a task force to look at immigration and visa fraud, uh, re-energizing the war, the failed war on drugs with a focus on marijuana. Meanwhile, we're in the midst of an opioid epidemic where people are actually dying. People don't die from marijuana. They, they just don't, James, okay? And rolling back Obama-era efforts to reduce police brutality and aggressive behaviors. And meanwhile, we see constant attacks on civil rights writ large. And so I'm excited because I have two friends joining me for this conversation in studio. For the first time with us, James Cadogan. He is the director of the Thurgood Marshall Institute at the NAACP Legal Defense and Education Fund. James, welcome. Thank you so much, Michelle. Wonderful to be here. And not last but definitely not least, a friend of the show, Danielle Solomon. She's the director of Progress 2050 here at the Center for American Progress. Hi, Danielle. Uh, hi, Michelle. Hi, James. Nice to be with you guys. 
And if you want to follow these two on Twitter, which you should, you should check out James at C-A-D-U-G-G-Y. And you can find Danielle on Twitter at Danny, D-A-N-Y-N-D-C. So, James, let me start with you because I am super excited about the Thurgood Marshall Institute. Um, But some of our listeners may not be familiar um, with the Institute and some of the work that you're doing at um, LDF. Thanks so much, Michelle. Uh, so the Thurgood Marshall Institute, uh, first and foremost, I'm excited too. It's a new multidisciplinary research and advocacy hub at the Legal Defense Fund. Essentially, it is a legacy organization, LDF, which has existed since 1940. It was founded by Thurgood Marshall, litigated Brown v. Board. It's us at LDF retooling for the 21st century so we can really meet the moment in civil rights. Mm-hmm. And I mean, when you think about the attacks on civil rights, it, it seems like this was a perfect time. <laughs> <laughs> for the institute to come into being. It really was, and, the, and this really is just a, a confluence of circumstances. The mm-hmm. idea for the institute came up during the uh, the director counselship of Elaine Jones, the first woman to be director counsel of LDF. But and was my good. law school commencement speaker, and I searched Miss Jones down. I like tracked her over the U.S. and oh, I really? was I went to her like two or three times, and I was like, Miss Jones, you have to speak at my law school. They need to hear you, and she did. Thank you, Miss Jones. She's wonderful. <laughs> She's and wonderful. Uh, Sherilyn Eiffel, who is now the president and director counsel of LDF, really kicked that into overdrive and, and launched the institute in 2016. And so coming on as the first director, my mission is to help push LDF into a new advocacy space and really harness the capabilities we have in-house between our organizers, our archival specialists, our academics, and our policy lawyers and associates. So, Danielle, you know, your team here at CAP at 2050 continues to look at kind of the ever-changing demographic in the United States, the role and the influence, um, the economic buying power of these communities of color and how you shape policies to really speak um, to these communities. Yet you seem to be doing this work in the midst of an administration that seems tone deaf to the realities, the needs, the desires and the wants of communities of color all across this country. Uh, Yes, I couldn't have said it better myself. Right. We are definitely uh, in the middle of a big fight. This administration is not putting out any policies and they are not nominating any personnel um, that are supportive of ensuring equity um, amongst the races here in America at all. And so every day it is a fight, whether it's education reform, criminal justice reform, uh, economic or housing reform. Everything is up for grabs at this administration, unfortunately. So how do you combat? I mean, you know, we can talk about Jeff Sessions, but we we heard earlier um, at the Department of Justice, they're moving to put someone in the Civil Rights Division who has, you know, has a history of bringing kind of what I consider anti-civil rights claims. Um, It just seems like we're in reverse land, James. So one of the things that that I think is important to focus on, and, and when I talk to people, I really want to emphasize is that the federal government is in the federal arena is not the only arena to play in. That's right. State and local action is incredibly important. For the vast majority of our civil rights issues, state and local action really will be the mainstay of where we can make change and where we can fight back against the, uh, the administration's uh, policies. So uh, taking policing, for example, mm-hmm. even the Civil Rights Division, which did some wonderful work under the Obama administration uh, mm-hmm. in, in terms of investigating uh, patterns and practices of unconstitutional policing, 
only opened maybe 25, 30 investigations and entered into that many consent decrees. That's 25 or 30 when we have 18,000 law enforcement agencies at the state and local level across That's the country. Right. And so when we're thinking about policing reform, the federal government can help when it wants to provide a roadmap for reform, mm -hmm. but that reform really has to take place at the state and local level. And that's where people can really get involved in advocating for what they want to see in their communities. Policing is generally considered an inherently local function. That's and right. so that means people have an opportunity to get involved in their communities. If you're just joining us on the Leslie Marshall Show, this is Michelle Jawando in hosting for this afternoon. I'm in studio with James Cadogan, director of the Thurgood Marshall Institute at NAACP LDF, and Daniel Solomon. She is the director of the 2050 program here at the Center for American Progress. So, Danielle, you know, I know that you spent time on Capitol Hill and in the administration um, and in the advocacy space. Where do you think the the biggest tool in all of those places um, that we should be utilizing as we look at these attacks, um, what would be the resource tool or opportunity um, that we're missing to really talk about the threat of civil rights right now? Well, I, you know, I want to lift up what James is talking about in regards to really the need to continue to engage our state and local partners. I mean, I couldn't agree with him more that really to get changes in local law enforcement, you have to work on the ground uh, with people in the community and those local law enforcement agencies. Like James said, there's over 18,000 local law enforcement um, operations happening across this country, and the federal government really doesn't have the ability uh, to touch all of those places. So I think um, one of the things we need to do is to continue to push out real facts and real data points to combat some of this dangerous rhetoric that we're hearing from you know, our current attorney general and our president, unfortunately, mm. so people are educated and understand what is actually you know, going on in their communities so they know how to fight back um, at the local level. Mm -hmm. I mean, I think some of the things we're hearing from the attorney general about rising crime rates are, are I mean, quite frankly, they're just wrong. They're just <laughs> completely uh Lies, ladies and gentlemen, lies. We're going to bring that word back. How about that, Gene? We're going to bring that word back. Lies. <laughs> and we just need to make sure that the public is fully educated about what's really going on and they're not falling for these dog whistles and, you know, um, the facts that are just completely wrong. That's right. We are going to take a quick break here on the Leslie Marshall Show, but when we get back, I want to dig into a little bit deeper. Our current attorney general, um, both Danielle and James, have the pleasure of serving under a different AG. And let's just talk about the difference between those two. This is Michelle Jawando on the Leslie Marshall Show. We'll be right back after the break. Life, liberty, and the pursuit of truth. The Leslie Marshall Show, 888-6-LESLIE. Michelle Jawando on the Leslie Marshall Show. 
hope you can join in the conversation. Go ahead and give us a call at 888-6LESLIE. That's 888-653-7543. Or you can join the conversation. Uh, we are live, folks, on Facebook. So if you want to join the conversation there or on Twitter, at Leslie Marshall, at Michelle Jawando. I'm back in studio with James Cadogan. Um, he is the inaugural director of the Thurgood Marshall Institute at the NAACP Legal Defense and Education Fund. And on the line with us, none other than a friend of the show, Danielle Solomon. She is the director of Progress 2050 at the Center for American Progress. So, James, you know, we have uh, AG <clears throat> who uh, earlier this week you know, talked about that judge somewhere out there in the Pacific. I, I don't know, you know, somewhere <laughs> in the Pacific, um, making those decisions, you know, ruling on things the way I believe judges do. Um, there was that statement. And then you had uh, a statement earlier uh, over the weekend on um, one of the Sunday shows where they said, oh, well, Democrats aren't going to shut down the government because we are going to be tough and we're going to build this border wall. Um, of course, they're not going to shut down the government as if Democrats are actually controlling the government right now. This is the first time that we have a looming government shutdown, folks, when the president president, the Senate, and the House are all controlled by the same party. So Democrats have nothing to do with this shutdown. I wonder um, if you can just talk a little bit, James, about the perspective that you have coming out of working at the Obama DOJ and just seeing kind of the direction of the Trump DOJ um, and some of your some of your thoughts on that. Sure. Well, you know, it, it does feel like the world is on fire every mm -hmm. single day. There's a new issue or a new statement that is extraordinarily problematic from a legal perspective, from a policy perspective. Uh, and really, it's been an all-out assault on the progressive values that the Obama administration really represented and some of the work that we did. Uh, and the Trump administration and Attorney General Sessions have made it a point to attack some of those policies, mm -hmm. whether it is rescinding the guidance that said we were going to move away from the use of private prisons, which That's was right. incredibly important. And it was there. a major announcement. I mean, you had advocates from all around the country, around the world, who were cheering this decision. Precisely. And then reversing the guidance on smart on crime, or presaging mm -hmm. the reverse of the guidance on smart on crime, yeah. in which prosecutors were allowed to use their discretion when it came to nonviolent, low-level drug offenses, and make sure that they were deploying their resources in a way that made sense right. going after really big criminals using the awesome power of the federal government where it is most needed. And then thinking about policing and consent decrees, as we were talking about before, the mm -hmm. narrative of quote-unquote law and order, which is a dog whistle to all of us, right. uh, really supplanted any commitment to civil rights, to LGBTQ rights, to mm -hmm. an open and fair and just society. And so that retreat, both in language and in action, mm -hmm. is extraordinarily problematic. And we have to, we obviously have to take that very seriously, not just the policies, but also how we talk about them. That's incredibly important for people to remember that these conversations need to happen in a way that lets people understand our values, mm. understand what we are fighting for, and understand why we are saying what we're saying. Winning the argument isn't isn't always isn't enough. Them. Exactly. Right, right, right. Danielle, and I mean, yeah, no, go ahead, Danielle. 
Oh, Michelle, can I just add it? Can I also add that I think we're also seeing an assault on what the people of America want as well? I mean, I think mm. what we saw the last two years in Congress was a bipartisan effort to pass the comprehensive criminal justice reform bill. And we had seen a lot of progress being made, not only in the public eye and public polling and public opinion, but also members of Congress, both in the House and the Senate, coming together to make changes, progressive changes, changes that were supported by facts and data around um, much-needed change on how we sentence individuals um, and how we um, provide reentry services to individuals. And we're also seeing an attack on, on those policies as well. That's right. I mean, Danielle, the, one of the questions that I had for you is you've spent so much of your time particularly working on um, smart solutions to deal with the kind of the opioid epidemic or um, approaches to uh, law enforcement, working with communities around the issue of, um, of, of drugs in our communities, and to just see this kind of posture where there is, again, this recriminalization of the use of marijuana where you saw a shift um, and a focus on looking at the public health aspects of, of um, drug epidemics in our country. How, how do you respond to that and how do you move forward? Yeah, um, I would say two things. One, I would say I think it is reminiscent of what we have always seen from um, now Attorney General Sessions, someone who is continuing to live in the 1970s and 80s. Right. We we now we are the evidence is very clear that marijuana is not this dangerous drug that is causing all of this havoc in our communities and for our children. It is very well documented. And his posture about refocusing efforts on marijuana is really just, uh, you know, again, another dog whistle to go after low-level, nonviolent people of color who are um, using marijuana. And it's it's unfortunate. I would also say that um, what we're seeing also is this focus on the opioid epidemic Mm -hmm. from a public health perspective, which is a good thing, but it's also um, not really talking about the bigger issues about substance abuse and how Mm. this is a much bigger issue than just dealing with opioids. I think the reason we're seeing this public health approach with opioid abuse is because it is mostly impacting um, the white community, especially white women. Mm -hmm. Um, And we didn't see that kind of response when we are talking about uh, crack cocaine or or, uh, marijuana. And I think what really what we should be seeing from this administration is a holistic approach to substance abuse in this country. That's right. That's right. So we are almost at the end of our time together. We know this president reads tweets. That seems to be the only way he communicates his thoughts um, these days. So James and Danielle, Danielle, I'll start with you. And James, you can give us the close. Danielle, what is your 140 word tweet for today for the president? Oh, geez. Um. <laughs> Get out into the communities and talk to the people. Perfect. James? A commitment to justice is everything. Mm, very good. Perfect. They Look, they did it under the wire. There was pressure. <laughs> that was game time performance, ladies and gentlemen. Steph Curry in the building. Yes. All right. I am thanking Danielle Solomon and James Cadogan, my guests, for the last half an hour. This is the Leslie Marshall Show. When I'm back, we'll talk the next movement that we need in terms of diversity and conclu- inclusion. The United States Senate people will be right back after the break. Leslie Marshall, real people, real life.
Real Talk, 888-6-LESLIE. This is Michelle Juwanto on the Leslie Marshall Show. Always great to be with you. Many thanks to our guests last segment, James and Danielle, for a riveting conversation on where we are, civil rights, and moving that conversation, kind of doing a trifecta. I am super excited to be joined um, again in studio by the lovely Miss Tiffany Cross. She is the curator of the Beat DC, the most important tip sheet for people of color talking about about us for us by us in Washington DC you can find her at on Twitter at Tiff T I F cross my heart Tiffany welcome back thank you Joe, for and me. joining us for the first time in studio and I will figure out how to get the Facebook live people to see you I am we're, we're gonna get this done because you are now here so Dom Bell he is the director of the black talent initiative at the Joint Center on economic and political studies and he's a former Senate staffer as well and a former president of the Senate black legislature Staff Association. So, Don, welcome. Thank you. It's a pleasure to be here. Uh, you can find Don on Twitter at dbjd13. All right. So, Tiffany, I, I want to start with you because I have been all in my feelings for weeks, and I haven't had any time with you. So, um, happy to be between here. Between the Pepsi commercial. Oh, don't get me started. Shea Moisture yesterday. Um, the United incident, um, and that is not to even, and that's just like pop culture. That's not to say anything about this administration and their incessant, um, attacks on communities of color, whether it's through the Department of Justice or the Department of Education, whether it's through Speaker Ryan attempting to take health care away from communities of color, from all Americans across this country, 24 million. Um, it just has felt like this onslaught um, over and over. And I just, you know, the time for having kind of our voices in this conversation, we are well past that. But I think that without question, we're at this moment where you can actually see when we're not at the table and when we're not a part of these conversations, bad marketing decisions get made mm -hmm. and bad policy gets made. Absolutely. I think uh, what, what you reference references um, that there's a sect of society that has always been there yeah. um, in the shadows, and they've been emboldened by this administration. Um, and 
even from corporate America. So mm-hmm. you can just take out the ads themselves. Mm-hmm. But just think about if there was one person of color at the table for right. any of these decisions, those ads would have never made it out the door. Yeah. If there was somebody at any level to look at that Pepsi ad, to look at a shea butter ad, <laughs> really a shea butter ad, and you have a whitewashed shea butter, because people who look like us... <laughs> right. It's like, really? Right, exactly. I just, I don't understand yeah, it. But yeah. I, I think it is something to say about the um, corporate culture and how it, uh, the political culture, how they feed off of each other. Mm-hmm. And uh, CNN did a segment this morning where they were talking to Trump supporters and really laying out facts and information and putting it before mm-hmm. them, saying, this is X and this is Y. Right. The, President Trump said he would do X and That's he hasn't. Did. President Trump said Mexico will pay for the wall and he hasn't. Um, there is a really a lack of intellectual curiosity. Mm-hmm. I won't even call it racism because we all know what it is. Mm-hmm. I won't even put that label on people because mm-hmm. people don't like to be mm-hmm. to have a mirror mm-hmm. put in front of their face. But I will say there is a general lack of intellectual curiosity mm-hmm. that has plagued our society, even when Obama was in office. Yeah, and I'm about to question? hurt some feelings out there. I'm yeah. about to make mother, yeah. <laughs> maybe offend some people. But even people on the left when Obama was in office, mm-hmm. I, even then people really weren't clear on the roles of the federal government, mm. the local government, and the state government. And you had all these, like, the Black Lives Matter people who were out protesting, but did you vote in your local election? Did mm-hmm. you know the sheriff mm-hmm. in your town was in elected position? Do mm-hmm. you know your local mayor? Mm-hmm. No, you too busy mm-hmm. protesting Bernie and Hillary because you're mm-hmm. mad about something. And now we're seeing that same thing on the right, mm-hmm. and it has cast a wide net of a dark influence mm-hmm. um, over corporate culture, political culture, and while everybody else is being hashtag all lives mattered by this movement, mm-hmm. um, people of color are being left in the shadows to mm-hmm. suffer. And it's really unfortunate. So, you know, we know that policy decisions are being made in isolation without the voices that we need, um, and even more so in Trump's administration and what I consider a almost entirely male, white male dominated administration. Um, it is just so fascinating to just see that play out. But a uh, article released today in the Washington Post shines the light on the fact that 4.9% of Washington based staff members. Um, in Senate offices are African-American. What? Yeah, and joining us to talk about his piece that he had in the Post is Don Bell. Um, Don, you and I have had a lot of conversations. You know, many of our listeners know I'm a former Senate staffer. At one point, I was the only uh, general counsel and senior advisor out of 100 senators who was an African-American woman. Um, That was not a title that I wanted to have at any point. And so much of the work that you've done and you're writing about shines the light on that um, fact. So tell us a little bit about the piece you had in the post today. So uh, again, thank you for having me on. Um, the, The piece today was really about making the argument for necessary systemic changes that would reduce barriers that would uh, allow people of color to aspire for policy positions on Capitol Hill and reach the senior positions where you are in the room making policy decisions, negotiating legislative language when uh, the member needs you. Mm -hmm. And Mm -hmm. I think one thing that people don't realize is how much members on the House and Senate rely on staffers in terms of counsel, in terms of advice during crisis. Um, And so the piece today dealt with uh, one change that 
you know, I wasn't the first person to advocate for this, and I won't be the last, but initiating the Rooney Rule, mm-hmm. which is the famous rule from the NFL, which uh, requires entities within the NFL uh, to interview at least one person of color when it comes to head coaching positions and general manager positions. And so, you know, my argument was if we did have some sort of rule where we could expand the interview pool, uh, that would have a meaningful impact on the number of people who have an opportunity to aspire to or rise to the senior level policy positions that uh, people of color just don't uh, hold right now. That's right. Um, you know, one of one of the things that I so appreciated that you laid out is, um, you know, often people say, well, you know, I don't I don't have enough resumes, um, or I, I I don't know anyone. But one of the things that I've often talked about is our networks right now in some ways are so segregated and isolated. Um, you know, one of the things that you've done with The Beat is kind of shine light, shine a light on kind of social and kind of policy decisions that we have been a part of as communities of color in D.C., but up until now haven't made it in writ large, you know, the D.C. tip sheets or um, haven't been discussed as kind of the places to be mainly because it was just communities of color. And I don't think there was a malicious intent always, but it's just our circles and our networks aren't reflective of everybody who lives and does this work. And you see it on in the Senate side, but you also see it in our policy, our newsrooms and our our media. Yeah, I think that was one of uh, the beat was born out of that frustration. Um, We know in this Mm -hmm. room, we know that there are people of color who have a seat at the table and they're fighting some hard battles and not just uh, on issues that relate Mm -hmm. to people of color, but they're fighting hard battles in the space of telecom in Mm -hmm. tech and healthcare Mm -hmm. and defense in many areas um, that we know that policy lives here, mm-hmm. and they go unnoticed and uncelebrated. So, you know, I have been saying for months, it's time for us to stop asking for a seat at the table and build our own, mm-hmm. and that's what we did with the beat. And the response, the fact that we have had this kind of growth that we've seen, and we haven't even been around a year, mm-hmm. and we had, when we started, we had 700 new subscribers a month on average, mm-hmm. and now we're averaging about 100 new subscribers. It shows that the audience is there. Mm-hmm. The people were mm-hmm. hungry for this type of content. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And I don't think the other tip sheets that I won't name, I don't think that they like you said, it's not right, malicious. It's not malicious. Yeah. They just simply were not on their radar. Yeah. You're not in those networks. Right. right. It's which different is, places. Which is unfortunate. <laughs> yeah. And yeah. it's, you know, even in today's um, newsrooms, to, mm-hmm. to your point, um, in 2017, there are newsrooms who are covering this administration who don't have a single person of color on their team. Mm-hmm. I hate to say it, but the New York Times that we talked about before, mm-hmm. they don't have. They just announced today that they have a um, Latino who's joining their Department of Justice um, team here in the Washington Bureau, which is great. But covering this administration, I don't mm. understand how that happens. Mm. <laughs> how mm. do you have somebody with all the nuance? Like, never mind our national security. Right. Never mind the general policy that affects everybody. Mm-hmm. But the specific very specific policy that this administration is undoing and overturning that specifically affects black and brown people of the country goes unreported. Yeah. 
until the beat came about. All right. So please, but before we, just please people subscribe, <laughs> bbc.com. Right. Thank you. And I, and I just want to add two points to that. You mentioned networks and the value of networks here in mm-hmm. D.C. They are absolutely vital in ensuring that people have a, a real opportunity to find the position that they're looking for in Capitol Hill. Uh, oftentimes it's more about who you know than right. what you know mm-hmm. because everyone has a learning curve when you start into a mm-hmm. policy position on Capitol Hill mm-hmm. and you're really learning on the fly. Um, the other point that I would make is uh, tip sheets like the beat are so important and you see this on an individual level. When I was the president of SBLSC, uh, during Senate Black Legislative Staff yes. Association, right? Yes. <laughs> uh, yes. And, you know, when I was president of the organization and we had the shootings in Minnesota and Louisiana back mm-hmm. last July, uh, I remember talking to people and they felt like they didn't have a voice in their own office. Mm. Uh, people openly wondered what was the point of being here working in policy on Capitol Hill. And when you have a tip sheet like the beat highlighting the great work that people who look like us and have the backgrounds and experiences mm-hmm. like us are doing, it really does raise morale. Yeah. And that seems yeah. like a small thing, but uh, in you our, get better policy outcomes. You do. Yeah. You do. Yeah. And people feel like they have a real stake in yeah. the work that they're doing. Yeah. You know, I, I, I often say, um, you know, some of this is is not intentional um but some of this is neglect um of a of a kind that should not be tolerated um and when you think about the fact that um you know our our friend our mutual friend roscoe jones is now the only black legislative director for any of the senate democrats that's a that's a that's a big statement and at one and one hand we like are super excited for Roscoe. On the other hand, that's not good enough. Well, we we actually have two. We have two. Uh, we oh have my two. goodness! We, oh, that's right. We have uh, uh, Clint Odo and Clint. Yeah, Kamala uh, that's right. And Kamala yeah. Harris's office. That's right. Clint and Roscoe are right. great friends and great mentors. Wonderful. Um, and we Wonderful. have seen uh, a shift in numbers of senior staffers. But to your point, though, it's not enough. Yeah. Uh, yeah. There for too long has been neglect Mm -hmm. in uh, tearing down the barriers that really do exist for people of color. Mm -hmm. And uh, only now are we starting to get member offices to really think about this, take it seriously, think about it. Yes, think about it during the interview Mm -hmm. process. And we've seen uh, some progress so far, but we have a long way to go. Clint, I forgot you, my man. (laughs) I I owe you a coffee, my friend. And and you see how small it is because we all know each other. Right. Goodness gracious. Um, So so Tiffany, you know, this week um, or I think it was last week, I know you were a part of um, uh, one of these roundtables where we're thinking about kind of diversity and inclusion in the tech space. Um, how do we get that conversation to not always just have people of color there? Because mm-hmm. sometimes what I what I find is we obviously are care about this issue and we want to do well. I've written about how policymakers have to be responsive to black women's specific needs. Um, and there's a whole, I would say, network of us working in this space. But we need more white allies. Um, And we need white Republican allies and we need white Democratic allies. How do you broaden the conversation 
you know, sometimes I recognize some, maybe it's a comfort level. Mm -hmm. Like, can I enter and ask a a question without being attacked? Right. Um, And I recognize that. Um, But I also want to make sure that people recognize that this isn't something that, like, people of color can just fix these issues right. on their own. Well, I, I would say, for starters, I, I want to clarify that the Beat DC is not just for people of color. It highlights people of color in the same mm-hmm. way that we read Playbook, The Hill, Roll Call, and other mm-hmm. outlets, and we're not always reflected. We still read it and learn something That's and right. consume that information, and I think it is incumbent upon people who are not or don't identify as being a member of a community of color that they make that effort and that they reach out and that they consume the information where they may not always be mm-hmm. reflected. And we do, you mm-hmm. know, when we um, the Henrietta Lack story mm-hmm. premiered at um, the Blacksonian, as we call it, the uh, <laughs> National Museum of African American History and Culture, and it was a predominantly black audience. And uh, the two DC royalty, I would say, who was there was Jake Tapper mm-hmm. and Tammy Haddad, who mm-hmm. everybody knows um, Tammy as being a woman about town, and Jake mm-hmm. from CNN. But there weren't people who were, you know, in any other room, they are the center of attention. In this space, they were the minority. Mm-hmm. And someone made the comment that they give credit for that. No, they don't. We show up and we do that every day. Mm-hmm. I can't tell you how many times in DC, in this town, right. the formerly Chocolate City, where I show up and I'm the only woman of color, I'm the only person of color. Mm-hmm. And again, we don't celebrate that. I don't right. want to be, I don't want right. to walk through a right. door and shut it behind me. Right. People want to walk through the door and leave it open. So I would say that for people who are, are not members of communities of color, that they do have to take some responsibility and some onus and step out of their comfort zone and learn and engage. Subscribe to the Beat, thebeatdc.com. Thank you. Uh, and and, and but <laughs> yeah. to, to talk to your colleague. I mean, yeah. this is a, a very diverse uh, city, exactly. So we, we're everywhere, you know, fine. So my time has flown by because, of course, I'm talking to friends who do great work. Um, I try to have people leave a tweet for this president because we know he reads mm. tweets. So um, summing up this conversation, Don, I'll start with you. 140 characters or less. Um, you know, his intention span is limited. Mm-hmm. Uh, what <laughs> what would we say to the president today? Oh, that's a good question. Um I think I would say uh, a truly representative government requires you to take into account the perspectives of all people. Hmm. All right. Tiff? Uh, I would say hashtag facts matter. (laughs) Hashtag represent us all. Mm. Hashtag my mm, grabs back. Oh, <laughs> well, you heard it here. <laughs> so much better. That, Tiffany, that uh, hashtag <laughs> game is strong. I am so thankful to my guest, Don Bell, director of Black Talent Initiative, and Tiffany Cross, curator of the BDC. Thank you so much for joining. When we come back, talk media news. We'll be right back after the break. Thanks. Welcome back. Welcome back. Closing out our show. Thank you so much to Tiffany Cross and Don Bell. This is Michelle Jawando on the Leslie Marshall Show. And I'm here with Patrick Gavin of Talk Media News. Patrick, so what is the latest and greatest on this border wall and this government shutdown? Should I be worried about Friday? I don't think you should be worried about Friday uh, for a number of reasons. One, you know, one of the big sticks in the mud was going to be President Trump's insistence on including funding or asking for funding uh, for the proposed wall between the United States and Mexico in uh, in the budget authorization. But this morning uh, on Fox, 
uh, White House advisor Kellyanne Conway went on and said that, in fact, uh, despite previous comments, that the president is not going to insist on that in order to sign this budget resolution. This is a uh, kind of like step three, I think, in President Trump's kind of kicking this can down the road <laughs> a little bit. Uh, in an interview with the Associated Press over the weekend, he talked a lot about, you know, how important this was. But, you know, when he talks about the wall, he really talks about how important it is to his base. It, it, you know, he doesn't speak about it in terms of how, how badly he wants it. But in a lot of ways, I think he views it as a thank you present uh, to the people who brought him there. He talks about how it's, you know, mm. the biggest applause line at rallies, That's right. and how he gets asked about it uh, so many times. But for now, um, he's not going to get it. And, the, you know, he tweeted out today that, you know, it's not over. He's going to try to pursue it again in the fall. But, you know, I think the further away from the election we get, you know, I think that perhaps Mr. Trump's interest in this wall, or at least his interest in spending political capital on getting it done, might diminish and diminish. I mean, I think he continually makes it clear to Senate Democrats and at least House Dems um, by his insistence on trying to build the wall that uh, he's not really into negotiating because there's no Senate Dem or House Dem that are going to support this. And why hasn't anyone on his White House alleged team told him that yet? <laughs> yeah, and I think what will probably end up happening, um, you know, it's probably similar to his approach to health care. I mean, I think that you know, end of the day, there'll be some minor tweaks to health care, and he'll claim that, you know, that he repealed and replaced Obamacare. I think end of the day on this wall, you know, maybe he'll ask for border security or build a very tiny segment of the wall That's right. and claim a victory and move on. And move on. That's Patrick Gavin, Talk Media News. This is Michelle Jawando on Leslie Marshall Show. Always great being with you, and I'll be back soon. Take care. This is no ordinary sub shop. This is Firehouse Subs. Welcome to Firehouse. Tired of overpriced lunches that underdeliver on flavor? Head to Firehouse Subs, where for a limited time you can get a $4.99 choice sub. Choose from a medium smoked turkey, Virginia honey ham, or roast beef. They're custom-made hot subs at a price ready-made to make you smile. Just $4.99, only at Firehouse Subs. Enjoy more subs, save more lives. Participating locations plus tax limited time offer prices may vary for delivery. How to show up with Coca-Cola energy. You're tired and you're thinking of canceling on your friends. Don't do it! Every time you cancel on a friend, a unicorn loses its horn and becomes a regular horse. Do you really want that on your conscience? Instead, grab an ice-cold can of Coca-Cola energy with delicious Coke taste and reinvigorating energy. Keep the unicorns alive! Show up every day with Coca-Cola energy. Energy you want, taste you love.